you not to swing, you idiot. Get back here. Move it. Hey, Stein, get back in here. And God damn it, game, you Yankees stupid. Two, Bears too. Everybody sit down. Come on, sit down. Sit down, Engelberg. What's the matter with you? Next time I tell you to do something, God damn it, you do it or else you're off this team. And the rest of you, what's the matter with you? All season long, you've been laughed at, crapped on. Now you got a chance to spit it back in their faces, and what do you do? You're out there like a bunch of dead fish, not listening, bonehead plays, mistakes. I mean, don't you want to beat those bastards? Get out there now and do the best you can. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 322, The Bad News Bears. Just an all-time great sports movie. Really can't say enough about how great this movie is. (laughs) I definitely watched this as a kid, and I liked it. I was telling you, I was definitely intimidated by it. Kids swearing this much and smoking cigarettes and riding, like, I I guess it's a dirt bike. It's kind of, no, it's like a mini motorcycle. Okay, yeah. Because it is, it really is a Harley. Okay, he, he keeps it calling as it as a Harley. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading the details about that. It was a brief thing they were doing when Harley Davidson was with some. I see. Other company or some, I don't know. Whatever. But yeah, rewatching this now, I'm just like hell yes. We're of course discussing the original from 1976, a film that goes without saying. Would not exist today because even <laughs> yeah, when they no. remade it, they had to like tone it down big time. And that was rated PG 13, right? And this is rated PG, <laughs> so that tells you something <laughs> yeah. about the difference in time. Absolutely, they wouldn't even let Billy Bob drink beer in the dugout. Oh, dude, in the new one, that was like you Butter couldn't maker? get that in a PG 13. <laughs> I was watching this with a little bit of oh boy, my future. <laughs> yeah, well, I did yeah. write somewhere in here, Matt. Is a Walter Matthau type. I don't remember where. <laughs> it becomes a little more charming as it moves along, but in the beginning, it's like pretty rough, passed out on the field. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, before we discuss the bad news bears, 
Let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts when you get a chance. You can also reach us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. If you have not already done so, please send us an email, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd like to read them on the show. Just to let you know, the backlog of emails is getting a little clearer, so this is your opportunity to jump in if you haven't already done it. Please. We'd love to hear from everyone. And finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. For stickers, listener requests, all that stuff, reach out via email or on Twitter. Yeah, you know the drill. The Bad News Bears was released in 1976, directed by Michael Ritchie. What a time. Written by Bill Lancaster. Bill Lancaster's screenplay was based on his experiences with his father, Burt Lancaster, the famous actor. Oh. Buttermaker was based on Burt, who was known for his grumpiness, and the character of Amanda was based on himself. Hmm. Burt Lancaster would later be cast as an aged version of early 20th century ball player Archibald Moonlight Graham. I believe we covered Field that. Dreams. Yeah. Bill Lancaster only wrote three scripts. The Bad News Bears, The Bad News Bears Go to Japan, which of the original trilogy is by far the worst, I guess, mm. and The Thing from 1982. Wow. And that's it. Holy shit. <laughs> I don't really know why there was nothing else. I guess- Two for three. Two of those hit movies were not hits. Yeah. Well, I would say in terms of good, though. Well, that doesn't get you work. No. Not back then. <laughs> the budget of the Bad News Bears was $9 million. The box office came in at 42.3, which actually made it a pretty sizable, impressive, and surprising hit hmm. of that year. You have to remember, in 1976, there weren't that many movies making like a hundred million dollars. That was right. not really a thing yet. So forty two point three is pretty solid. I know this was rated PG, but is this a kids movie or a family movie? Well <laughs> PG thirteen didn't exist yet. And yeah, it didn't meet the qualifications for, for R, which were much higher back then. Language. You have to remember not the Exorcist harsh. was rated yeah. R. Right. So Yeah. It seems insensitive and weird, but I don't really think that they thought of racial slurs on the same level as True. saying fuck. Yeah. So they don't really say fuck in the movie. That's right. Or anything like that. It is weirdly chased at times because Tanner, you would think, would swear constantly, says crud all the time. That's right. True. And he keeps doing it in the sequel. Yeah. (laughs) That's just like his word. But it mixes between shocking dialogue and reserved dialogue. Not reserved, but not what you would expect, where they uh-huh. kind of use different words like crud or whatever. So I can kind of see it based on the old standards of the ratings. Right. For those of you who have not seen The Bad News Bears or would like to rewatch it, for the purposes of listening to this podcast, you can find it streaming for free right now on Paramount Plus or Showtime, I guess, whatever they're doing. Yeah, that's where it I It seems like it. it's all one thing now. I got to could... figure that whole thing out, by the way, because I still have Showtime like through my Prime account. But I also have Paramount Plus. This sounds like an off-mic conversation right now. Okay. (laughs) I think some people would relate to my struggle. Well, yeah, the consolidating thing is weird. HBO Max just became Max today. Oh, it did. So I had to figure out how to log back into that, which was a whole process. That would be a nervous breakdown for me. Whoever was using it for free 
and changing it to Spanish all the time, well, now there's a new password because they yeah. made me change it. So sorry, you might be on the outs until they <laughs> until you hack this one. <laughs> you can also check out the two sequels to the Bad News Bears on Paramount Plus as well. I don't know about the remake. I didn't look into it. We'll talk about those movies though later. The director of the Bad News Bears, Michael Ritchie, he died way too young back in 2001, but he had an interesting career as a filmmaker, one plagued with runs of complete mediocrity, but with a few real standout gems, especially towards the beginning when he first transitioned over from television. Downhill Racer from 1969, starring Robert Redford and Gene Hackman. This is a big favorite of Jason Reitman's. Oh, I know a lot of other people love it as well. It is in the Criterion Collection, and I do have it. I watched it. I have to say, I wasn't really blown away by it, but it's probably one that I would need to rewatch. Yeah, I still haven't watched it. Prime Cut from 1972, Lee Marvin, Gene Hackman, Sissy Spacek. We'll talk about this movie more at the end. Awesome. I would say sleazy. Yeah. And fun. Same. The Candidate from 1972 with Robert Redford. One of those underappreciated early political satire gems. I think it's underseen because it never really was on Blu-ray. It might have a more modern release now. I think I have the DVD somewhere. Smile, 1975, starring Bruce Stern. It has a lot of other ladies we like as well. Melanie Griffith, Annette O'Toole, Colleen Camp. Wow. A very lighthearted satire about beauty pageants. We'll talk more about Smile later, too. Then you have Bad News Bears in 76, Semi-Tough in 77 with Burt Reynolds. Then he transitions into comedy with Divine Madness in 80 with Bette Midler, Fletch, Chevy Chase, 85, Wildcats, 86, Golden Child, 86 with Eddie Murphy. So there are hits. For sure. But if you look at his IMDb, there's a lot of weird or really uninteresting stuff in there, too. It's, it's a mixed bag, but I think there's enough quality in there that you can make the judgment that he was a pretty skilled filmmaker. It probably just wasn't always working with the best scripts. It's hard to say for sure, but I would, yeah, looking at the list, I think The Bad News Bears is the peak. The Bad yeah. News Bears is just a an American classic. Unquestionably. And if you have one of those in your back pocket, then you've accomplished something as a director. I thought it might be fun to share some Little League memories of our own before we launch into this. A lot of years spent for me, for sure. Baseball was my passion at one point. Wow, yeah. I got out pretty quick after kids started pitching. You know, you go from manager pitch to kid pitch. I probably only played a few years when kids were pitching. I didn't really like it, but I was definitely on a team reminiscent of the Bad News Bears (laughs) in some ways. Yeah. We didn't win any games, Mm. and then at the end... Everyone made the playoffs anyway. Yeah. And we had one player that was really good, like Kelly Leak. Oh, yeah. And we won against the best team in the first playoff That's game. That's awesome. It was our first one That's of the like season. A, yeah, that is a movie. Of course, he got chicken pox, and we lost the next game. But, <laughs> <laughs> and I was probably like the second or third best player on the team when the managers pitched. <laughs> Once kids pitched, it was a whole other oh, scene. Yeah. But, yeah. Even outside of baseball, hockey, soccer, whatever, a lot of similar memories to some of this stuff. Yeah. The parents that get overly oh. aggressive and competitive. and That's horrible. The kids not having any fun. 
<laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, I ran the full spectrum. I played baseball like all the way into high school, and good teams, terrible teams. The good teams were certainly more fun than the terrible teams, but. What position did you play? Every one of them. Pretty... But even in high school? You're still moving around all the time? Uh, second base in high school. All right, there you yeah. go. But I also played Babe Ruth when I was in high school, too, and I played shortstop there. But I always, as I got later in my career, <laughs> I kind of started to get that thing, like the Chuck Knobloch thing, where you can't throw the ball short distances anymore. Oh, God. Yeah, and like, <laughs> I feel like I should have made the transition to outfield because I could throw the ball really far and on a straight line from out there, but... It did start to become a little bit of a problem oh God. later in life. I yeah. can't even imagine. Well, you know I'm a head case. So. <laughs> You're like a character from this movie. That's right. Yeah. I pitched one inning in when the kids pitched, and mm. we'll listen to this stat line. Please. No hits, no runs, three strikeouts. Whoa. But also three walks. Yeah. And the three strikeouts probably could have been walks. Was not really getting it anywhere near the zone. That's what I wanted to do was be a pitcher, but I always had to play, you know, third base or outfield or whatever. So know, throughout my it. time, I did play every position, and some went better better than others. I had a period of time where I wanted to play catcher, got a chance, did not go well. <laughs> you seem like a natural catcher. Yeah, <laughs> just like you have to call the pitches, pass balls, constantly <laughs> like throwing the mask off. You know what I mean? Like trying to find this fucking thing try to make the throw to second base and i throw like a pop fly <laughs> no never again on catcher and they did have me pitch a little bit more towards middle school and i just got rocked i wish there was videotape of these games yeah there was one coach that kind of believed in me was like we want to put you on the mound and give you a shot by the third inning when like the mercy rules in play oh god <laughs> i was pretty good at throwing the ball down the middle <laughs> But not that fast. Meat. <laughs> so maybe we're not that far off from the Bad News Bears after all. I was definitely leading the league in walks, strikeouts, mm-hmm. hit by pitch. And that's pretty much why I hated it. Because I was I got hit in the head at least twice. Oh, yeah. I eventually just got scared of the ball and just didn't want to be in the batter's box anymore mercifully i got out of it still pretty young because it was not going great (laughs) yeah i was uh in the sweet spot in middle school during that time where it was a league for fifth and sixth grade and i was in fifth grade and the coach would bat me lead off which was cool because i was one of the younger kids but i was super short at that time not that things you know you were like miguel from this movie exactly was so small that's the thing my on base percentage was through the roof brad pitt from moneyball would have been like (laughs) trying to recruit me out because i got on base i like that you say brad pitt from moneyball <laughs> rather than billy bean yeah. we have to view the whole world through movies even when we know the sports reference all right let's get into it i don't really think this episode needs to go on and on and on forever so we'll jump right into the plot here morris buttermaker yes. an alcoholic pool cleaner and former minor league baseball pitcher is recruited by a rather enterprising father with a checkbook to coach the Bears. We talk about it all the time, how times have changed. I bring it up a lot. You usually don't care and just say, yeah, times have changed. But it's one of those things where pool cleaner living in Southern California, that seems like it's a hard life to get by. Well, it does seem like he's having a hard life. Well, that's true. (laughs) I don't even think his car is a 
like a trunk lid on it. <laughs> and when his windshield gets not destroyed, able to repair it, <laughs> no thoughts of repairing it. Well, you have to understand that a long time ago, people bought houses, yeah, and then they owned them. Mm-hmm. They didn't make payments on them forever. So Correct. once a house was owned by a family, it probably just stayed in the family. He's probably not making any house payments right. or anything like that, or car payments. Man, what a life. The world was just so inexpensive. Like, inflation does not match what people make. Right. We make way less compared to what they made back then, even though we made more, we make yeah, more yeah. just because everything else is inflated so beyond. I know. Plus, we don't know what his living situation is. I'm thinking apartment. Yeah, probably. Sure. Yeah. The Bears are a youth baseball team competing in Southern California. It's an expansion team, a seventh in a league usually consisting of six, comprised of misfit players, formed as a settlement for a lawsuit brought against the league for excluding such players from all of the other teams. So we have Watcher Mathau as Buttermaker. Perfect casting, in my opinion. Absolutely. I did see that Steve McQueen and Warren Beatty... Both turned down the role. Obviously, Beatty's huge too movie good stars. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't work. McQueen towards the end, because I just watched that movie, like where he's the bounty hunter, like the is it the hunter? Yeah, and I can kind of buy him when he looks like that, even though he's still really good looking. There's yeah. like a gruffness to him. Beatty, I I don't think so. I don't think either of them. No, I think Mathau's so much better. Agreed. For this. Yeah, he's the he's the right fit. Although, I guess the biggest impediment is believing that he was once a great minor league baseball pitcher because he doesn't really seem like (laughs) that. That would maybe be more believable for the other two. Although, he was talking about striking out Ted Williams, and I was thinking, well, when did he play baseball? (laughs) Was this around World War II? How old is he supposed to be in this movie? I don't know. It's confusing. People just seemed older, (laughs) we always say. Well, yeah, but I'm saying he doesn't seem old enough then. Oh, true. It seems like he played baseball. 40 years before this movie took, <laughs> takes place? I don't know if that could be possible. Shunned by the more competitive teams, not to mention the competitive parents and coaches, the Bears are the outsiders and the least talented team in the league. Which takes you back to, was this expansion really necessary? Well, that was the lawsuit, was they yeah. wanted to be able to play, and then they weren't allowed. They were basically trying to keep the league to be... Only the best players. Mm-hmm. It was a highly competitive league. Which I think was okay, actually. Yeah, but maybe not legally. Sure. Because it's a publicly funded thing, probably. <laughs> right. Well, that's the whole point of the movie, man. Yeah, absolutely. Is <laughs> <laughs> them proving that they do des- deserve to be in the league. Totally. Yeah, I think that for people who haven't seen this movie, we should probably describe it a little bit in general. It's very raw and edgy. There's... Drinking, smoking, swearing, racial slurs, fighting. It's everything that you love about 70s style filmmaking, but a kid's sports movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So let's run through a a little bit of the lineup of the Bears right now so that it doesn't get weird later trying to contextualize everyone as they become important to the story. Chris Barnes as Tanner Boyle, the short-tempered shortstop. Legend. Endlessly hilarious. They built a statue of Tanner and said club legend at the bottom. (laughs) I'm not going to forgive or look over the racial slurs, but that probably has more to do with upbringing. He seems very young. I'm sure those are just words he's heard around his house. Sure. I just think he's so funny because of the obvious. He's tiny and yet has no fear about fighting anyone 
at a moment's notice for any reason. <laughs> Just completely insane. <laughs> Always ready to talk shit. At first, he bullies Timmy Lupus, played by Quinn Smith, who he calls a booger-eating spaz because Timmy is considered not only the worst player on the team, but definitely the whole league by a wide margin. <laughs> Even is self-aware of that. Yeah. Announces it at some point. Eventually, Tanner realizes, though, that he's no better than the kids on the rival teams and then becomes protective of Timmy, which is a very sweet moment. Absolutely. This movie is actually touching, deceptively sweet sometimes and touching, yeah. I found myself getting a little choked up towards the end. Yeah, there's definitely some emotional moments in the movie where you're kind of like, Jesus, Buttermaker, just, why are you being so mean to her? I know. Or, man, that was really great when the guys came together and stuck up for each other. I know. <laughs> It's just a really fun, well-written movie. Totally. There's, there's really nothing else you can say about it. Tanner is close friends with Ahmad Abdul Rahim, played by Aaron Blunt, a popular outfitter on The Bears who adores Hank Aaron. We have Gary Lee Cavanero as Mike Engelberg, the overweight catcher who can actually hit once the season gets rolling. He seems like an archetype for a character that they'd have in every one of these types of movies. Yes. You know? Including The Mighty Ducks, which right. is basically this movie. Totally. Engelberg has a deep rivalry with a pitcher from the league's top team, the Yankees, named Joey. Alfred W. Lutter as Alfred Ogilvy, a benchwarming stats nerd who helps Buttermaker coach. Jaime Escobedo as Jose Aguilar, second base, and George Gonzalez as his younger brother, Miguel Aguilar. In the film, neither of the Aguilar brothers could speak any English. In reality, according to an interview in a 2001 Sports Illustrated Where Are They Now issue, Jaime Escobedo and George Gonzalez were, in fact, fluent in English and didn't know how to speak Spanish. They had to learn their entire dialogue directly in Spanish before filming began. Not that they really have many lines. Right. Let's be honest. We have David... Stanbow is Toby Whitewood, an unassuming boy who plays first base. He knows about the other players' personalities, is intelligent and well-spoken, and at times speaks on behalf of the team. He is the son of Councilman Bob Whitewood, who secretly paid Buttermaker to coach the team. The Bears were the only team in the league whose nickname and colors were not borrowed from a Major League Baseball team. This helped reinforce their status as misfits yeah, and outcasts. underdogs. They stand apart. Also have a few other guys. David Pollock is Rudy Stein. He's kind of the relief pitcher, backup outfielder. Late in the movie, strategically hit by pitches. <laughs> Brett Marks as Jimmy Feldman at third base. Scott Firestone as Reggie Tower, another infielder. There's a few guys on the team that just sort of fade into the background totally. throughout the movie. They're not really as crucial to the story. A lot of recruiting of blonde hair. <laughs> That's a, that's a big trait that attracts <laughs> Bad news uh, bears were yeah. Hitler's dream. <laughs> Throughout the film, Coach Buttermaker is constantly drinking beer, yet he is seldom seen drinking the same brand. Totally. Which is also kind of a funny character trait. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit about the brand. <laughs> Buttermaker is seen at various times in the film drinking Budweiser, Miller High Life, Schlitz, Kinger's, Paps Blue Ribbon, Lucky Lager, Mickey's Big Mouth, and Coors. Yep. And also pouring liquor into it well when he opens that cooler at the end it's like a hodgepodge of things yeah <laughs> just to give the children it's almost like the beer that he drinks is 
friends come over his house and bring beer and then just always leave like one or two and that's his whole beer collection. I don't imagine he has a lot of friends. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The Bears ages in order based on the actors' ages while filming. Whitewood fourteen, Kelly fourteen, who's not on the team yet, Stein fourteen, Ogilvy thirteen, Engelberg twelve, Amanda twelve, although she refers to herself as eleven, so I guess it doesn't really matter what Tatum O'Neill's age was okay. at the time. Ahmad twelve Feldman, 11, Tanner, 10, Miguel, 8, and Timmy Lupus, the youngest, age 6. Wow. (laughs) Other ages are unknown. In real Little League ball, Lupus would be way too young, and those under 12 would be on a completely separate team anyway. But I guess they were just casting for looks. (laughs) Lupus is (laughs) 6. No wonder he's so small. And yet he's still bigger than Tanner. Yeah. Hey, Engelberg. What? There's chocolate all over this ball. Look, Mr. Buttermaker, quit bugging me about my food. People are always bugging me about it. My shrink says that's why I'm so fat. So you're not doing me any good, so let's quit it. Okay, okay, okay. All right, look alive. Let's get one. Are you ready? Let's get one out there. Engelberg. What? That is a bunt. B-U-N-T. The catcher is supposed to pick up the bunt and throw it to first base. Well, how is that supposed to know? You make sure the big deal yelling out to them. It's diversionary tactic, Engelberg. Now get the ball. Why are you always picking on me? What did I do to you? Engelberg, crank your crummy belly ache and throw the ball to first base. Don't blame me. I didn't even know it was your car. There's something parking that's so close to the field anyway. All right, boys. Let's get back to basics. This is a baseball. The object of the game is to keep the baseball within the confines of the playing field. Wait a minute. What about pro? You don't think we know what a ball is? I don't think I like the character. Come on, you fights this week already. We keep playing like this, we'll be the laughing stock of the league. Well, what do you expect? All we got on this team is a bunch of juice, spicks, niggers, pansies, and a booger-eating moron. Tanner, I think you should be reminded from time to time that you're one of the few people on this team who's not a juice, big nigger, pansy, or booger-eating moron. So you'd better cool it or we may be disposed to beat the crap out of you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Come on, cut it out. Now, guys, somebody's going to pay for this windshield, and I think, Engelberg, it's going to be your father. Bullshit. As mentioned, this movie is kind of similar to The Mighty Ducks, so the first practice, better or worse than The Mighty Ducks players were at hockey? Still better to me. District 5 peewee hockey team. I'm going to say... It's pretty close, but yeah. I actually kind of think the Bears might be a little bit better. I think so. Well, even though baseball is... Or worse. To me, hockey takes a longer time to get better at. Well, that's the thing about the Mighty involved. Ducks. If we ever go back and we do the first one, they have to know how to skate. Yeah. Actually, that kind of applies to the second one, too, because of a specific player. But <laughs> you can't just not know how to skate. Yeah. That just isn't going to happen. So right. if the Ducks in the first movie 
if you're saying they knew how to skate, then I feel like they're already ahead of where the Bears are. True. They literally cannot do anything. It's unclear from that first practice if they're able to really skate. Well, what do you th- what they're do you see pond. in this first practice that thinks you they've ever even held a baseball? Well, that's before? true. Did you see Lupus throw in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) The transition between District 5 and the Mighty Ducks, it's night and day. Yeah. These guys always kind of maintain that same amount of grit. It never really seems like most of the players get better. They just add a couple better players. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, a couple of them start to contribute. Yeah. But, yeah, we don't know if they all do. Right. It seems like some of them really don't. Early on, it becomes obvious that Buttermaker is definitely in a little bit over his head. He's taking the team out to batting practice at the cages, but most of them don't even seem like they can hold a bat, and he's getting drunk. and Just getting, like, blackout drunk. He takes the kids with him on his job cleaning pools, but he makes the kids (laughs) do it. (laughs) That part's brilliant, yeah. I think they recreate that scene pretty well in the remake. So the big thing is... Buttermaker didn't realize that he was going to have to provide the uniforms. He was going to have to do the legwork, find the sponsor, do the whole deal. <laughs> Picks a great one. He does land a sponsor, Chico Bail Bonds, which was a real business near and where this filming took place in hilarious. Southern California. The back logo with the Liberty Bell, and it says, Let Freedom Ring. <laughs> that logo is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, we find out that Lupus has a real knack for preparing martinis, which is sort of a hilarious character trait. You can kind of tell that he probably does that for his mom or something. (laughs) I remembered a lot of this movie from watching it as a kid, but the whole like Chico's bail bonds obviously completely went by me as a kid and is absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, because a lot of the other teams in the league have national chains. Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut and Denny. Yeah. (laughs) Other things like that. During one of the practices, Buttermaker just gets drunk on the mound and passes out. <laughs> out I think, cold? I think he's dead. He's not dead. He's drunk. <laughs> I like how familiar Tanner is with alcoholism right off the bat. Yeah, you he's know calling something's him an going alky. on there. <laughs> not surprisingly, opening day is not a success for the Bears. First, we have Jackie Earl Haley as Kelly Leak, the local troublemaker who smokes and rides a mini Harley-Davidson motorcycle. He also happens to be the best athlete in the neighborhood, and he's not currently on a roster because of his juvenile delinquency. He's showing up, fucking everybody's day up, riding his bike on the field during the opening ceremonies. No one wants him there. Thumbing his nose at the whole ordeal. There's that woman, and she doesn't really come up in my notes much, named Cleveland, who kind of helps run the league. Consistently in the movie. has a feud with him, and she at one point just is like, I don't even care. I know it's wrong. I hate that kid or something. (laughs) Well, it seems like she wants to suck Roy Turner's dick. I think that's fair to say. But Roy Turner's already got his wife, who we'll talk about more later. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, shout out to Vic Morrow, who plays the competitive and aggressive coach of the Yankees, Roy Turner. He seems to mostly run the league in general. You recognize this type of dude. Vic Morrow was the father of Jennifer Jason Lee. He died in 1982 in a tragic special effects-related accident on the set of Twilight Zone, the movie. So if you've ever heard about that, that's that guy. Wow, okay. Yes. Holy shit. I have heard that story. Didn't realize that. Engelberg shows up. He's not even able to button his uniform up. <laughs> Just a sad showing. 
But that's what's so cool about this movie, and I'll shout out production designer Polly Platt, who worked a lot with Peter Bogdanovich and really made his movies better, and then when they went their separate ways, I think Bogdanovich really fell off. She's one of the great production designers of all time. All of the little details in this movie yeah. are there. That's what kind of makes it almost overwhelming and impossible to do like a really comprehensive podcast, because there's so many little things. Right. It's so real and raw that it feels kind of documentary style and they did some stuff with the camera work too that we'll mention in a minute but you know it's actors but it's kind of got that it raw feels very edge. authentic and it goes beyond the realistic performances it's just the way the world looks it looks yeah. like a real baseball field when they're in the pizza hut you're like yeah I bet Pizza Hut in 1976, that's a real one that totally. looks real. They just have all these little details everywhere. And then <laughs> Engelberg not able to button up his shirt. They're just so trashy. <laughs> the, the five o'clock shadow constantly on Buttermaker. You can just smell him through your TV. The cigarettes and beer. <laughs> <laughs> and the faint BO because he probably hasn't showered in yeah, that day sounds and like a half me. or something. <laughs> Look, the formula is the formula, all right? These movies are all borrowing from this one, probably, unless there's something that predates this that this one took it from. But, of course, the Bears have the misfortune of playing who? The Yankees Mm -hmm. in the opening game of the season. And wouldn't you know it, it's a total shit show. I will say through my career of playing baseball, too, I was never on this team. There was a Yankees in every league ever that had this kind of coach. They were better than everybody. Yeah. I never was on that team. Well, I have some experiences with something like this, but it's not baseball related. We'll get there in a second. Buttermaker finally forfeits after the team allows 26 runs without recording a single out. One thing incensed me during the montage of their beatdown. <laughs> At one point, after the Yankees have already scored a ton of runs, I, I saw a bunt in there. Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, that next pitch is going right at the next guy's <laughs> a head. A beanball, yeah. I don't care how old the kids are. You're fucking bunting after you're running yeah. the score up. That actually just might be a brawl right then. You might not even wait till the next batter. So youth athletics can be hard to watch at times, but Lindsay says it all the time. The hardest sport to watch is bad baseball just because it's so long. And- well, yeah, when it, the kids are little, it's endless. Right. Because I have a friend with young daughters who play softball and they're very young oh yeah and these innings oof. oh i know i can't even imagine yeah no pitch clock they're like stepping out of the box like <laughs> well they just never get out i know it's so rare that somebody that's gets an the out. thing it's the five run rule that's ending every inning uh, you see i don't think they have it for, for that for no every inning. okay yeah well when i was a good 15 years younger or, or so maybe a little more Working at a hospital, we joined like a softball team for the hospital. It was like the local league of all the different hospitals in the same healthcare system. And it was a pretty competitive league. So we get asked, we're working as like in the summer sure. as landscapers. Walter Matthau types at the time. Yeah, already on our path. <laughs> <laughs> Hung over, sleeping in the back of a dump truck, and somebody comes up, Do you guys want to be on the softball team? So we show up, we're young guys in college like not the greatest athletes ever but decent and this team that we joined was so bad and so horrifying i think the first game we played we lost 
like 20 to 1 or 20 to nothing or something like that. And the second game, we lost 35 to 3 or something like that. Looking back, I'd have to walk off. I don't know how we even got out of those innings. Yeah. Because our team was so terrible. Was and there then any over... run limit rule? No, there's no Just... run limit rules. So then over time, we tra- we eventually transformed the team to be better over the course of a few years. Oh, wow. By bringing was there in, a like, montage? Our own. Well, no, we just brought in a bunch of ringers, which is basically what they do in this movie. <laughs> and we started kicking other people off the team yeah, yeah. or not, you know, being mean or whatever. <laughs> it got ugly. But yeah, I could relate to this inning big time. I was thinking about those softball games and man, oof. Yeah, you know what was really rough? Because I was in some years of where we did have like the run limit. And you'd go inning after inning, and you can't get out of it. You keep hitting the run limit every inning. And then you get to an inning where you get two outs, and you're like so desperately trying to get that third out before they score five runs, and you don't. (laughs) The team does not take it well. Ahmad strips down and climbs a tree. (laughs) But then there's these little moments. Buttermaker is this very inconsistent character. He's really hard to nail down because – Early on in the movie, before he's even really shaped up, it's a pretty sweet moment where he goes up and he talks to Ahmad and he yeah he tricks him about the Hank Aaron story and convinces him not to quit and to come back. And he tells all the other kids after the first game not to quit either. He does have his moments, and then he'll kind of fuck it up again. And yeah, you're right. Start acting like a shithead again for a little bit. It, it's it's sort of a roller coaster ride with him. I know, but he kind of maintains that same demeanor the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Even when he does the right thing at the end of yeah. the movie, he's still sort of like, fuck you and yeah, fuck off. Exactly. <laughs> the loss was so bad that the aforementioned Bob Whitehood, Toby's father, the city councilman and lawyer who originally sued the league to allow the Bears to play, wants to pay off Buttermaker and disband the team, but with the entire team wanting to quit due to the humiliation of their first loss, Buttermaker does something rather unexpected and convinces them all to keep going and then starts doing some recruiting missions. First up is the sharp-tongued Amanda Wurlitzer, played by Tatum O'Neill, the 11-year-old daughter of one of Buttermaker's ex-girlfriends, who he personally trained as a pitcher when she was younger. Which, what year did they start? Well, he, was, he keeps referring to her when she was nine, so it must have been a couple years yeah. earlier. Couldn't have been too long because she wouldn't remember it. Correct. (laughs) Their relationship is bizarre. She very, very clearly wants to have a father, a father figure, and then at some point, sadly, I know, makes that butter maker. (laughs) Starts putting her faith and hopes and dreams in him, and tries to get like a little reunion between him and him that goes poorly. Not even the reunion; the idea of a reunion goes poorly. They have a strained thing, and yeah, she definitely wants to make it into something more permanent. But it it and, is sweet, though. No, it is, yeah. but she's she's always worried about the future. She brings yeah. it up several times because she knows how he is, and then once the season's over, she's afraid he's going to disappear again. So that strained, tenuous feeling is part of the backbone of this movie, and mm-hmm. then also factors in a lot when it comes to the fate of the bears and what's going on at any given moment. Yeah. The mood of the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> Jody Foster was originally set 
for the role. She left to go do Taxi Driver. Then they wow. offered the part to Christy McNichol, but then rescinded it to give it to O'Neill. And then McNichol and O'Neill would later go on to star together in Little Darlings. Sarah Jessica Parker also auditioned. Oh, wow. I think Tatum O'Neill is incredible. She won oh, yeah. an Oscar as, I guess, the youngest person ever at the time. I don't know if she still is now, but she was so young for Paper Moon, another movie in which she was incredible. We totally. were sort of lamenting how it all kind of didn't really happen at a certain point. But That's as strange. a child, she's unbelievable. Knocking it out of the park. Yeah. She just has that kind of raspy-voiced, street-smart but also like, cute tomboy thing. Feels very natural. Yeah. A very just, natural performer. That's exactly... She's a dream for yeah. a movie like this. Right. It, you could not cast anybody better at this particular part. O'Neill trained with a professional sports trainer for several weeks before filming began in August of 1975 so she could get her pitch, pitch perfect, so to speak. Although some of the pitches in the movie were done by stunt doubles, O'Neill did the bulk of them, which is kind of rare. Wow. Movie like yeah, this. that's cool. There's still a lot of resentment, though. So Amanda resists at first, but a reinvigorated Buttermaker starts taking coaching and practicing a little bit more seriously. I think he's fired up at being embarrassed by Roy Turner and the Yankees and then how everyone seemed to respond to it. So it's, it's lighting the fire a little sure. bit. And this inspires the rest of the Bears to work hard and, most importantly, not quit. The extra exercise is a strain for the overweight Engelberg, though, who eats a wrapped candy bar. Right. Oof. Yeah, it's a tough moment. Their next game against the Athletics is also a disaster as they lose 18 to nothing, but at least they finished it this time. True. It was the entire game, not just part of an inning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they were actually managing to get some outs even though they did get no hit again. <laughs> well, they didn't even get a chance to bat the first game. Yeah. They were like fucking Burt Lancaster, Moonlight Graham. They didn't even exactly. get in the bat. That's right. <laughs> the filmmakers used handheld cameras in many of the baseball scenes, which I think lends to the documentary feel. Definitely. There are times, and they do this in the sequel too, where they just kind of let a play happen. Yeah. And it almost seems like the kids are just playing for real, and I whatever know. happens on that play right. is just what they filmed. Did you really have it set up with all these different throws and all these things happening or whatever? I don't know. I know. There's it, something like very spontaneous and real feeling about the plays. But it looks good, too, I think. Yeah, I think it looks pretty good. Yeah, like the look of it is still pretty sharp. I think they just knew how to film it yeah. to hide that it's right. kind of fake looking. Okay. Because they're so close to things. That's mm -hmm. the handheld stuff. They're right yes. in the midst of the players. Rather than you see the whole play and you're kind of like, okay, can this person actually really hit or what's going on? Mm. You know? They probably threw some real ringers out there to help. I'm sure. You know, and just yeah. kind of not turn their face away from camera or something when they're batting or whatever. Who knows? Buttermaker returns to see Amanda again and brings with him a bit of the old reverse psychology. It was a dumb idea anyway. I mean, you wouldn't have helped the team much. I mean, you were great when you were nine, but girls reached their peak athletically about that age. Probably haven't picked up a ball in two years anyway. Give my love to you, Mom. Don't be such a stranger. Hey, Boilermaker. Yeah? Got my curve breaking two and a half feet. Oh, yeah? Then you have been practicing, huh? 
Now, don't give me no baloney about a curve breaking two and a half feet, though. For how much? Ten bucks. Make it twenty. You got a bet. Jeans? What's the matter with American jeans? I don't like them. What do you think you are, a catfish hunter? Who's he? Boys, I'd like you to meet your new pitcher, Amanda Wurlitzer. Juice fixed niggers and now a girl? Grab a bat, punk. Yeah, this always works with kids. It's like, just pull this out and... Oh, yeah, you'd probably get hurt, all those boys. They'd be better. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's got a fucking 12 to 6 curve like Barry Zito the year he won the Cy Young. She's oh, just I know. breaking it off. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, unhittable. The thing that I love about this character, too, is just how into it she is. Never wants to come out of the game. Well, yeah, she pitches, like, every inning uh, yeah. until the very end. Her elbow's like hanging off, and she's, she's like, getting Tommy John yeah. surgery. <laughs> but it's gonna play through. Play through. Yeah. Well, she's learning to to pitch with her other arm. Right. Yeah. Buttermaker's comment to Amanda about thinking she was Catfish Hunter with all of her expensive demands before he agreed to play with the Bears was referencing Hunter's recently becoming the highest paid baseball player in the league. So some timely references thrown in there. Sure. And then she comes in and does join the team, and she makes her debut versus the Mets, and she's just dealing out there. Oh, yeah. Just racking them like up. This is like Clemens in his prime. <laughs> but then they end up losing one nothing on a lupus error in the outfield oh. after Buttermaker does tell rough. her to go easy on them so that they'll put the ball in play, though. Yeah. So he wants to see if the other players can actually make plays, and Big then it mistake. all goes wrong with yeah. lupus, who, why in God's name, was even out there. <laughs> Yeah, listen, I remember these Little League days. Like, if you had a pitcher who could just strike everybody out, you just let them go full <laughs> tilt. So then there's some weird light pimping of his quasi-stepdaughter by sending her out to be the one to recruit Kelly Leak. This part is strange. Although I think there's, like, a sweet moment with him when they are back in the car and he sort of seems a little upset. Like and protective, yeah. yeah. I'm joking. He was right. just telling her to, like, no, I know. See if he could join this. But it just seems weird because yeah. then they end up making the bet on playing air hockey, right. which she loses because he just suckers her in so easily by yeah, yeah. when they're pretending to play, letting her score all those points. That's like such an easy way to sucker <laughs> someone in. And then like, okay, now we're playing for real. And if I win, you have to go on a date with me. Yeah. And then he just kills her. <laughs> <laughs>
go again? No. Anybody else? Saw you throw the ball the other day. Got a great arm. So, so. You could use a good outfield on our team. Oh, you call what you got a team. who don't have anything better to do with themselves. Well, you must like those kind of guys. You sure do hang on the field often enough. There's a nice ass at the field. That's why I hang on. I hear you like to gamble. We go a dollar a game here. I don't want to play for money. If I win, you play baseball for fairs. And if I win? Name it. it go? I lost. What? I thought you said you were supposed to be so good I at those things. No, it's the last time I ever listened to you. Eight o'clock, Friday night. What's that? Nothing. What's eight o'clock Friday night? I lost that game, so I gotta go to the Rolling Stone concert with the creep. That's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard of. 11-year-old girls don't go out on dates. Of course they do. Where you been? Well, they don't go out with people like that. Boy, you take the cake. First you blow the game, then you get roped into a date with an ex-con. You're like a chimney. I'm sick of it. Start the car and let's go. Probably lost on purpose. You probably like the little baboon. Blow it out your bunghole. What if he tries something, uh... I'll handle it. Rolling Stones, 11 years old. But we never see their date, though. Which no. I think could have been a fun scene. Me too. They probably couldn't afford to license a Rolling Stones song or something. <laughs> yeah. Although they could have just done it in the parking lot, whatever the scene is or whatever. They right. didn't actually do a real That does concert. seem weird, because it feels like you're going to see it. And then, yeah, nothing ever comes of that. Yeah, well, whatever happened on their date seemed to help convince Kelly to be on the team. But then they don't really have any romantic scenes or anything. And he does seem kind of too old for her. But that's just that age where he's, like, hit a little bit of the puberty and she really hasn't yet. So he seems way older, but he's probably only, like, two years older or something. Very touching moment when a couple of the Yankees players, including Joey, they start bullying lupus who tanner had just told to get away from him <laughs> and then when tanner sees what's going on oh yeah <laughs> just starts fighting these two kids that are so much bigger than him and then gets thrown into the trash. the trash can yeah but i think this is the kind of shit that is bonding the team together and it's helping them play better yeah granted it's a huge boost to get kelly and amanda 
for sure. Even ace on Poor the mound studs. and somebody you yeah. can hit home runs. <laughs> They're getting like Shohei Otani injected into the lineup. That's right. We got this arm and we got a bat. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like Amanda can really hit though. We never actually see her hit until the end of the game. No, she doesn't need she's to. She's out immediately. Yeah. With Amanda pitching and Kelly now on board crushing bombs, the Bears actually start winning some games and other players start gaining confidence too. I noticed that they had a nice little McDonald's celebration after the game. And it is weird. This movie does feature an unusual crossover of product placement. That is true. They have Denny's, Pizza Hut, and McDonald's, all three being family-oriented restaurants serving convenience foods. And kind of in competition with each other, and they just sign them all up. Must have been bumping up the budget a little bit. (laughs) It actually is Roy Turner who inadvertently pushes Kelly to join the Bears. We should point that out. That's true. I kind of forgot about that scene for a second. Yeah, I do think the door was open and his interest was, you know. Yeah, he liked what they were doing because he realized they weren't like all the other teams. They were an alternative to. Well, you know, the over-competitive parents, the jackass coach, Cleveland. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and Cleveland right. hates the Bears too yeah. so it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah it is this prick that finally pushes him over the edge and gets him involved once you start acting positively then positive things happen to you and then they get the forfeit from the White Sox so now they're moving up the standings Oh, something that was absolutely cracking me up during this movie and it goes all the way to the end the fact that the other team doing the two four six eight who do we appreciate chant is the biggest insult in the world. <laughs> it feels insulting when you lose twenty six nothing because they say who's the hardest team to beat and like, they didn't even bat. <laughs> but every time they do it, you like the other team is so like Well they don't really show no, they only really show it being done to the Bears, don't they? Or to the they, Bears? After, they do it at the forfeit too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well then that's kinda of funny. Yeah. They got a chance <laughs> to give it back. Yeah. But that was just making me lose it. That That is because the words are obviously something that's meant to be in good spirit. But it's like the biggest insult to have it done to you. I don't think it's insulting if it's actually like a close competitive game. Yeah. I think it's really only insulting because these games were so not yeah. competitive. And then they're saying, who's the hardest team to beat? <laughs> Kelly and Amanda are actually riding on... Kelly's motorcycle at one point with no helmet. So I guess they do have that moment together. True. But I just thought that was insane. Imagine this letting, does seem dangerous. letting I mean, your there, kid ride around on a motorcycle without there's a There's definitely a lack of parental guidance figures in the vicinity. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was called the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> they're all time. drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and then there, of course, is the requisite montage of the improved play. We're seeing everybody coming together, playing better. But the Bears' journey is not without a few speed bumps. As they rise in the standings, pressure mounts, and Buttermaker asks Kelly to catch every ball in the field that he can, which understandably rubs his teammates the wrong way. And then you have Amanda, clearly in search of a father figure. She starts attempting to pull Buttermaker into that role, but he resists, straining their relationship and reopening old wounds. And yeah... When she does the whole thing about trying to hang out with her mom and him, and then he doesn't want to do that, so then she starts throwing out all kinds of other things, and he just snaps and yells at her. Yeah, that's rough. It is a little over-the-top yeah. mean for no reason. You could just kind of blow her off, which is, which what is most where people he starts. <laughs> he, he starts with, yeah. Well, I think I don't think so. I'm good. Well, this is what has led some people to speculate that 
you're supposed to think maybe he is her father. I never got that impression because it seemed like he dated her mother way after she was born. Right. And I, if he was with her for that long to the point where she's nine years old. This probably would then, be a lot stranger situation. Yeah, I think she would know that yeah. he's her dad. or I don't know. I, I never got that impression. But yeah, I, I think that he does feel a certain amount of guilt. Maybe not about her specifically, but just about his whole life. Yeah. And he never committed to anyone or anything. And now... He has this chance, and she's making him feel bad, and he's conflicted, and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's rough. But it is a tough moment. (laughs) He throws beer on her face, and then she actually does cry. It's like, oh, God. It's one of those things that, in certain movies, you'd feel like there's no coming back from this part. It's the 70s. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're just, like, grabbing kids and putting cigarettes out on their arms. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Here's a baseball bat. Go take a few cracks. Okay, let's get your elbow in there. The last Don't worry about it. I got a smear in there. Will you listen to me and forget the elbow? Gotta hold down the swelling. It's not that Used bad. to me all the time. Buttermaker. All right, shoot. Well, I invited my mom to the game tomorrow. You did, huh? Well, that's nice. It's the last game of the year, you know. Yeah, fine, fine. Got a big surprise for you after, too. We're all going to dinner. What? And after that, we're going to the drive-in movie. It's a double feature. Let's play it by ear, see how things go tomorrow. Please don't try and blow it. She wasn't too keen on it at first. I had to work real hard to get it set up. Yeah, I bet you did. I don't think it's a very good idea, Amanda. No excuses, Boilermaker. It's all fixed, and I'm paying so you can't cry poor. Yes, but listen. Last Sunday made a killing. Guy wanted to wallpaper his bathroom, bought 35 maps. Amanda, you know damn well that your mother and I don't get along, so we're not going to dinner or a movie or anywhere else together. Do you understand? Just keep your elbow in the water. Well, then just you and I will go. Yeah, right. You and I will take the whole team out and get some hamburgers or some pizza or something. Well, I was just thinking us. Just us. No outsiders. Well, then maybe we could go horseback riding or something, and maybe to a matinee. Yeah, we'll see. How does it feel? Why do you always change the subject? You're always pulling that as number. As far as I'm just concerned, the subject is your arm. You're pitching tomorrow. But what about after tomorrow? After tomorrow, we do what all ball players do. We shake hands till we see each other next season. Then we go fishing or hunting, make some personal appearances, get to know the wife and kids again. I don't have a wife and kids. Neither do I, but I got my pools to clean. You got your maps to sell and your ballet to learn. I could help you with your pools. Well, you cut it out, Amanda. No, it wouldn't be like you taking me anywhere. It'd be like work. You could use the help. No, I couldn't. And besides, you shouldn't be wasting your time cleaning pools. Look, Amanda, you're a terrific kid. You shouldn't be hanging around with me. I mean, I'm an old, broken-down, third-rate ball player. I like to drink too much. I like to smoke my cigars without anybody bothering me, including you. I'm happy that way. I'm a bum. No, you're not. You taught me how to pitch. You taught me how to... Ah, damn it! Can't you get it through your thick head that I don't want your company? If I did, I would have looked you up two years ago. I wouldn't have waited two goddamn years. Did you ever think of that? That's where you feel fine. Eventually, the Bears do make it to the championship game where they must square off against the dreaded top-notch Yankees. However, 
they enter the game in a little bit of disarray with tension between Buttermaker and Amanda and then the rest of the team and Kelly, which gets transferred to Buttermaker when he reveals that he told Kelly to ball hog in the field. But a collision at the plate between a Yankees player and Amanda, who was backing up Engelberg, leads to an all-out brawl between the Bears and Yankees, <laughs> which seems to regalvanize the troops a little bit. I think so. They needed a spark. <laughs> this is right at the beginning of the game. This is a Little League <laughs> championship game. You would think they just call this thing off. They spike a girl who gets hurt enough to like fall down. She stays in the game, but Tanner runs in just an immediate nut shot. Just <laughs> kicks a kid right in the dick. No one gets ejected. <laughs> now, I know we're going to our own me- our own memories a lot. I was in a snowball softball tournament. Oh, boy. Yeah. You've heard this story I before. Many a time. For charity. Yeah. <laughs> So you show up, it's the end of January, there's snow on the ground, that's the whole point, everyone plays in snow clothes and wow. that kind of shit. That doesn't sound fun to me. Well, it started out okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the problem. You're supposed to play two games no matter what. Our first game was pretty early in the morning, like 8 o'clock or something. However, our second game wasn't until like 1 or 2, which right away there's a problem. Sure. So after the what first are people game doing in between? where we get killed, yeah, Bad News Bears style, uh huh, we go to Eaton Park, and then it's at a big park with a lot of areas, gazebos. It's South Park. Right. For you. Oh, yeah. I've here. been there. That's where Lindsay's from. So we go to a place, start drinking. So we're all buzzed. We go to our second game. I'm pitching, by the way, with a big trapper hat on, oh, no. huge aviator sunglasses, <laughs> Smoking cigarettes, doing an El Duque style wind up. Oh god! Just to like the amuse big, everyone. like the knee flying up. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. turning all the way around to do a softball pitch because yeah. we're just goofing around. We're having fun. Yeah. We're laughing. Sure. As we're getting killed, this other team I don't think likes that we're having fun for I'm some sure. reason. Yeah. Because they're taking it very seriously. Right. Gym class hero. They're wearing baseball pants. Some of them. Yikes! I know. Of course, at a certain point in the middle of a game, a brawl breaks out. Punches thrown, chokeholds. Oh, God. The umpire ejects nobody, and the game just continues. <laughs> Play it's exactly on. like yes. this. Except, of course, at the end of the game, there was another brawl. That in the parking the lot? Whole thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've heard that story. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, God. As the game progresses, tensions, of course, continue to rise between the teams and the coaches. As both Buttermaker and Turner embarrass themselves by engaging in ruthless behavior toward each other and their own players in order to win the game, things take a dark turn when Joey, the pitcher for the Yankees, who has been going back and forth with Engelberg all game, throws a headhunter pitch after Turner told him to throw low and outside. Turner comes out to the mound and strikes his son, which shocks the crowd into silence and infuriates his wife who is barely wearing a shirt plus super tight jeans. It is so a now shocking... is the point where we got you would think this... we would want to focus on him hitting his kid but we have to talk about the mother's outfit. Oh, I mean this outfit is insane. a declaration. <laughs> this is a kids little league game. She's wearing a crop top I know, that's I... basically covering just her breasts and then her entire midriff is exposed. Super tight jeans. I said to you that she's dressed like one of the counselors from Wet Hot American Summer. I will say that she does look incredible and would be oh, the talk sure. of the town yeah, for yeah. any Little League game. How does one carry on in a game like this? <laughs> she, of course, is super pissed. 
In response to this, Joey, who does stay in the game after all of that, allows Engelberg an inside-the-park home run by refusing to throw the ball after a weak grounder to the mound. (laughs) (laughs) So this game is a total circus. You have a brawl at the outset, and then a player on one team hits a... This is after a coach comes out and hits a player. Right, which... Oh, the cops aren't being called? It's the 70s. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, man. No, the (laughs) cops? Yeah, right. Then, after that happens, the player on the other team hits a ground ball, the pitcher fields it, and then refuses to do anything with it while his own teammates try to get the ball from him. It's like slowly escalating. If I was the umpire, I would have already called this game. I would have said, everyone here needs to go home, and this game is null and void. Yeah. Neither team wins. This is pathetic. It's a vacated championship year. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Joey then walks off the mound and quits. And, of course, his dad just stays there and then continues to manage the game with well, the other kids. On. Coach of the year. So I was thinking a little bit about the film Smile, which Michael Ritchie also directed. And I know that most people listening probably haven't seen it. It's a pretty I had never obscure or rare film. heard of it until you let me borrow it, but I did enjoy it. Now, you may remember in that movie, which came out, I believe, the year before this, the satire of the beauty pageant world is very gentle uh-huh. and kind, which right. makes it kind of a sweet movie in a way. Yeah. Because it's kind of taking the piss out of it, but not in a, like a ruthless, totally drop-dead gorgeous style where everyone's <laughs> like an asshole sociopath. It's just sort of goofing on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I definitely think he took... Now, I, I know he didn't write the script, but he took the satire meter and really scaled that back for a more gritty or edgier feel. But I think the indictment of competitive Little League children's sports is way stronger. It's a bigger statement. Right. But the reason I don't consider the satire as high is because I know that it's really like this. Totally. Except worse a lot of the times. <laughs> I know. It's sad. I have pretty young nephews who are maybe getting into sports. You know, pretty young. Yeah. And... They live in a different school district than the one I live in, a little bit up up the road that's a little bit bigger and a little bit more competitive. Sure. And there was talk of football, and they play seven nights a week. They're like seven years old. Yeah. They play seven nights a week. They weigh before and after practice. Oh, my I gosh. I mean, it's insane. And the parents are nuts from what I've heard. Oh, youth athletics are absolutely insane now. Like, just talking to people that have kids, people are like, spending their kids lives trying to get them like recruited to play college ball and it's like a full-time thing they have like trainers yeah it's an ongoing oh yeah that's what the yeah like the third grade girls softball is around here it's nuts i know i know i actually think there needs to be some reform to keep parents out of that shit. absolutely i'm being dead serious i don't know how you do that and I know that new leagues it's would just sprout up me. for that kind of yeah. shit, too, if if they take it out of the school leagues and stuff. But, yeah, it's gross. It's grotesque. Finally, Buttermaker realizes that he, too, has lost the plot and put way too much emphasis on winning. So for the last inning, he puts in all of the usual bench warmers so Love that it. everyone will get the chance to play. Much to the uprising of some of the fans. Yeah, including his benefactor who's paying him to do this. He tries to talk about him. He's like, you sued the league so that everyone would get to play, and now I'm letting everyone play. And he's like, I know why I did it. <laughs> Once you get that sniff of a championship, <laughs> all morals go right out the window. It is a little rough, though. 
Rudy comes in to pitch because Amanda's arm is shot. That's actually probably what's worse. Yeah. No offense to Rudy. If Amanda would have still been able to pitch this inning, they probably wouldn't have given up as many runs, and, and she then they probably win out. the game. She wanted to keep going. Well, did you see her first pitch? Not she couldn't even make it to the plate. Yeah. The Yankees, of course, end up scoring four runs in short order. But it's Lupus, of all people, with a huge catch at the wall to keep the game somewhat within reach. I love how they are able to give Lupus this hero moment and then still do the ending that yeah, we all know totally. is the better ending. Because there was an alternate version, obviously. Where they win. Yeah. And they went with the better version, and they still get Lupus, his nice little moment here. You gotta <laughs> love got it. got that snow cone yep. going. <laughs> Against all odds, with two outs in the bottom of the last inning, which I believe is the sixth. I think they're playing six innings. Ogilvy, who was 0 for 14 on the season, gets a walk. And then Ahmad bunts for a base hit. Next up is Miguel, who is so short, the pitcher cannot find the strike zone, and he walks two. My kind of guy. With the bases loaded, Turner opts to intentionally walk Kelly, who for some reason is batting after Miguel. I have no idea what the batting order is at this point. (laughs) I believe Miguel was one of the guys that Buttermaker put into the game who hadn't been playing the whole time, but still, that he ends up in in front of Kelly. Who knows? However, Kelly reaches out and connects with a pitch anyway, putting the ball into the outfield. Three runs score, but Kelly is thrown out in a close play at the plate. The Bears lose by one run. Unable to challenge it. (laughs) Did you think he was safe? No. It's hard to tell. It was bang, bang. Yeah, most of the calls in the game are pretty obvious if they're safe or out including the play at the plate at the end of the sequel breaking training he's pretty obviously safe and he's called safe but this one it, it was from the angle they use it's kind of hard to yeah. tell buttermaker gives the team beer which they spray on each other with a field <laughs> celebration as if they won the game ridiculous but absolutely hilarious This is your second place trophy. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. I know we had our differences, but at least we settled it right here in the ball field. Uh, my boys would like to say something to your team. Boys? We just want to say you guys played a good game. And we treated you pretty unfair all season. We want to apologize. We still don't think you're all that good a baseball team. You got guts. All of you. Come on, let's give him a cheer. Come on. Ready? Okay. Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Bears! Bears! Yay! Hey, Yankees, you can take your apology out of your trophy and shove it straight up your ass. And another thing, just wait till next year. glorious ending it's one of the all-time greats totally the yankees try to show class although even their class There's is a little backhanded to it they're like oh we still don't think you're a good ball team but you got guts yeah <laughs> lupus no tanner first you can take your trophy 
and your apology and shove it up your ass. <laughs> and then Lupus, of all people, throws the second place trophy I know. at them. <laughs> it's so great. But there's like a little bit of a pause. There's yeah. like a little bit of a delay. Which... I love that when he throws the trophy, they all just sort of move out of the way and then they just don't react. They're just like, okay, I guess that's happening. And they just leave. <laughs> yeah. At that point, I guess everyone was like, well, we can't have another brawl. Sure. <laughs> I don't remember everything about the remake, but I do think that the ending was also pretty funny in its own way. I'm I definitely sure. remember enjoying the ending. I need to watch that at some point. Yeah, I I was going to save talk about it, but we can do it now. It's not particularly well-reviewed. It didn't do very well. I think it was a $35 million budget, and it made 34 or something like that. It didn't do well. All respect to Richard Linklater, who I like, and would think that if I watched this movie, I would like it. But at the time, it sort of had that feel of, did this need to exist type thing? Right. I still kind of feel that, too. But it it just was fine. Right. It wasn't bad or anything, but it didn't really improve upon this movie in Uh any way. So it is what it is. Billy Bob was pretty much built for that part. I'd say so. That's right. (laughs) He had already kind of done it with Bad Santa, which is even more (laughs) hopeless in a way. So he toned that down a little bit, but yeah. I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it. I just didn't have time because I did, I chose to watch Breaking Training instead, which is sort of a forgettable movie. When the team picture is taken at the first game of the season, Amanda and Kelly were not on the team. However, during the credits at the end, they are in the picture, which kind of reminds me of The Shining. <laughs> they were just always a part of the team. Well, it's better. It's better to have them in the picture. Yeah, that's one of those things that's not really a mistake. Obviously, they knew Yeah, when they were doing the picture the second time with right. the new people. They're like, well, this is going to be the one we use for the credits. As I said, there was an alternate version where Kelly is safe, and they showed test audiences that version. And they uh-huh. the test audience scores always came back better for when he's out. And people liked sure. it more. Yeah, It was definitely a mood in the 70s, because you had Rocky lose at the end of right. Rocky 1, and... I don't know that you would do it now that way, because when they make the Mighty Ducks, the Mighty Ducks win, generally. Yep. And I think times change. Vietnam was probably an influence. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) That's just what you say. It was a cynical time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, it was. Right. And I think that just captured the spirit of the moment. Now, it's not exactly like the 2020s have been a positive, happy time, but I still think they would choose for... The winning because people are just like that now. So for yeah. kids' movies or PG movies or whatever, the kids are probably going to win unless whatever. Right. So after this movie, we go to the Bad News Bears in Breaking Training in 1977. You have no O'Neill, no Mathau. Immediately a bummer. Different Engelberg. Lupus is barely in it. Some of the kids hit puberty like a brick wall. They That's look always tough about these Weird and casts. gangly. And it's only the next year. Yeah. William Devaney takes over as the coach of the team. He is playing Kelly Leak's estranged father, who they meet up with in Houston when they go to play at the Astrodome in the big pivotal game. Which, that part is cool. I remember that. Yeah, it's not a terrible movie, but I could tell almost immediately as I was watching it that... Not quite able to recapture it, yeah. The script wasn't very good. The scenes weren't great and then as i said to you if you're watching it on paramount plus i hit pause 
at one point, and there was only like 20 minutes left, and I I was like, Where what has happened? Like, nothing's yeah. even happened in this movie. It just doesn't really have any drama to it. There's right. no beats to the story. It just sort of happens, and then, okay. And then the next year, 78, they make another one, The Bad News Bears Go to Japan. I've never seen that film. I don't think I have either. It is much maligned. Mm, abysmal. I think it has reviews. a 3.7 out of 10 on Yikes. IMDb. That is real bad. Oof. This time, Tony Curtis seems to be the old guy, which real low point maybe for him. Although probably not. I'm sure there were other low points. <laughs> Very dramatic drop in quality from what I could tell. What are you going to do? They brought back Lancaster for the script, but it didn't seem to help. And then from March of 79 through July of 80, there was a Bad News Bears television series, 26 episodes with Jack Warden as the old guy, I guess the coach. Catherine Hicks, the mom from 7th Heaven, was in it, and Corey Feldman. Those are the only recognizable names I saw. Don't know anything about it. I doubt you can find that anywhere right now. It's probably buried in a vault somewhere. 2005 remake, they got rid of the the Sean Parker. Must have come in and <laughs> told them, just bad news bears. It's cleaner. It's cleaner. Billy Bob Thornton, Greg Kinnear, Marsha Gay Harden. As I said, not too bad, but not too great either. <laughs> yeah. In addition to Linklater, though, the 76 original has also been cited by Quentin Tarantino, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Kevin Smith as a personal favorite. Yeah. It is a very beloved film, and when you think about those names, Linklater... Tarantino, Smith, that's like the backbone of 90s independent cinema. For sure. And you can see that influence. Just the dialogue in their movies. The way that they talk. Definitely. I can see that influence from the Bad News Bears. Just that that real gritty, vulgar, no fear. So that'll do it. I wanted to keep this episode pretty short. I know that some people prefer the shorter ones or the longer ones. Depends on the listener, but you know we've been killing ourselves this year so far <laughs> with content. In the spirit of this movie, quick to the point, enjoyable, fun. Yeah, they just don't make gritty things like this for fun anymore. Right. If this came out now, it would not be a comedy. No. It would be a, an A24 drama <laughs> that looked like no fun to watch and reminded you of how horrible the world is. Instead... It's all about like the Walter Matthau character getting an intervention. <laughs> or dying. Yeah. Or molesting or killing one oh, of the God. kids. <laughs> Come here, Ogilvy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, no. What are you doing? What? <clears throat> what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So let's jump into our segments. I wanted to combine recommendations and physical media spotlight for myself. So I'll throw the floor to you first. I have nothing. For either? In the time in between we last recorded, yeah. I only watched this movie, and I woke up early so I could watch it before work today. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's where we're at right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll... Uh... At least second one of the ones that you're doing, because I think I know. To let the listeners in a little bit into our world, we did record Star Trek II Arrival and this episode all within five days, I think. It's been a tight turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had a plan for recommendations. I wanted to recommend two of the Michael Ritchie films that I have seen and enjoyed that are a little more under the radar, not his 
mainstream comedies of the 80s. But perhaps the under-the-radar part of it was a little bit more than I would have thought because neither of these films seems like they're streaming anywhere even for rental, which was blowing my mind that you couldn't even rent them. More and more, that's the case. I own both on Blu-ray. I double-checked to make sure they're still in print. Granted, if you wanted to get Smile with a slipcover, you're going to have to pay like 70 bucks. but I'm hoping most people don't care about that piece of cardboard. <laughs> As we're like obsessed with them. All right, well, we didn't yeah. have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. The first one is the 1975 film Smile, which we've talked about a little bit about the beauty pageant, which you can pick up on a Blu-ray from Fun City Editions. I don't think that you're really going to know what that is unless you're into physical media. So, you know, you can just find it on Amazon or eBay probably. But I doubt anyone will do this, but I, I think it's fun to talk about movies that people might not know. I enjoyed it a lot. I like Bruce Dern as an actor, so I was intrigued. And the whole beauty pageant thing is kind of fun and funny. It reminded me a little bit of Christopher Guest, but uh-huh. not quite. Yeah, it does have as that funny feel. as that. Yeah. A little grittier. It's a little yeah. grittier and not as funny and not as slick. And it definitely has a more seventies vibe to it. But yeah, I thought a little bit of Christopher Guest and yeah, it, it's a good transition to Bad News Bears, because like I said, it Bad News Bears is like turning the temperature up on something. Like, yeah, I thought the beauty pageant world was weird, but what is the deal with this bullshit? Yeah. These fucking parents like yelling at the kids <laughs> and how they're into it. And it's just about kids playing a sport for fun. Where's the fun and that whole thing. And then Prime Cut, which mm-hmm. is available on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber, a real sleazy, trashy definitely movie that builds to a really fun face-off between Lee Marvin and Gene Hackman. Absolutely. A really young and beautiful Sissy Spacek. Just a weird movie, too. Kind of dabbling in the, the flesh trade or something. I know. And yeah, it's, it's kind it's, of surprising, actually. It's strange. But yeah, I would check out both of those. Michael Ritchie, I don't know that we're going to do any more of his films on this show. Looking at that filmography, it seems unlikely. So okay. this is our big moment to talk about it. I would definitely say that The Bad News Bears, though, is the cream of the crop. Yeah. You got that American classic. That's something. Folks, let's move on to Mailbag. All right, all right, all right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this, when you control the mail, you control information. This week's email comes from Shelly. Subject, in my top five podcasts. Okay. Oh, wow, thanks, Shelly. I'd love to know what the other four are. Yeah, really, how we can rank we uh, leapfrog them? them, please? <laughs> I found you guys a couple of years ago. When I was looking for someone reviewing Killer Joe, oh yeah, it was all I hoped for. I've been a fan ever since. I like how you break down the movies and your subtle humor. I can't wait to hear you do my requested movie in July. I feel so special. I hate to tell you that I'm just an old lady who appreciates intelligent, humorous podcasts like yours. Oh. I don't know why you hate to tell us that. That sounds right up our alley. Yeah, totally. Our don't ever demo. change. Well, Shelly... A self-proclaimed old lady who was looking for a killer Joe of of all movies review. That is somebody that is the ideal fan. Absolutely. The ideal ass clown. The ideal <laughs> listener to the greatest moments in the history of forever. 
whenever we set out to do this podcast, Killer Joe was the type of movie I was thinking we would be doing. I know. <laughs> now it almost feels like we're too corporate for it. I know. We have to just dedicate a month of the year yeah. to trashy movies. That's it. That was the whole thing before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Our no. first episode was D2. <laughs> All right, so thank you to Shelly. If you have not already done so, please reach out to us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns, anything you'd like, we'd love to read your email on the show. You can ask us about ourselves or ask us questions about movies, whatever, or the topics we talk about. It'd be great to hear from everyone. I recently heard from Lindsay's Uncle Bob, one of my favorite family members. He was like always the guy at the family get-togethers that would be standing off to the side by himself and I'd go talk to him and he'd be like I need to drink like three of these Miller High Lifes to get through this thing you know and I'm like so my kind of spirit right and uh he listens to a decent amount of the episodes and he really enjoyed the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle episode all right thought it was one of our best episodes well tell him to email us all right we'll see if we can (laughs) figure that out in addition to email you can Reach us on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're following along on there. Twitter and email are the perfect places to request a sticker or to negotiate a listener request. We're probably going to tone down how much we're talking about the listener requests for the next month or so since we're not doing them throughout one trashy summer. But you can always reach out on Twitter or via email and we will put you on the list. But as I said last time, we're looking at november now so just be prepared for that other than that find us on letterbox zach 1983 matt crosby make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on apple Podcasts, podbean wherever you find us please give us a rating and review on apple podcasts that still really goes a long way for us we love to see it yeah keeps us going in fact if you're not going to email us you need to do that (laughs) one or the other yeah please Although now I'd, I'd prefer both. Anyway, thanks so much, though, for listening. I know that these episodes are coming out fast and furious, but we're having fun. This has been a great time this year. This has been our most output by far. We're yeah. going nuts with it. We're running ourselves into the ground over this. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's just so many things to get to, so many mm-hmm. topics. Plus, the listeners all seem to think they their topics need to be talked about. And let's about, be so. honest, not a lot of hours left in our lives. <laughs> For any of us, really. Yeah. Folks, anyway, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back probably in the next week or so with the kickoff of One Trashy Summer, Oh, which we did not do last year. So The triumphant return. Yeah, big comeback. Big comeback year. You love to see it. All right, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for One Trashy Summer. I don't with me, my private, and we'll sail around the world. I will be off at an end. Many nights of talking in the hotel rooms can you take? Many nights of limping round on pagan holidays. Oh, elope with me in private and we'll set something ablaze. A trail for the devil to erase. San Francisco's calling us, the giants and Mets will play. Piazza New York, catch your eye, you straighter, are you gay? We hung about the stadium, we got no place to stay We hung about the tenderloin and tenderly You tell about the saddest book you ever read It always makes you cry 
The statue's crying too and Willie May I love you, I've a drowning grip on your adoring face I love you, my responsibility has found a place Beside you and strong warnings in the guise of gentle words Come wave upon me from the family, why don't that absurd? You'll take care of her, I know it, you will do a better job Maybe, but not what she deserves Elope with me, Miss Private, and we'll drink ourselves awake We'll taste the coffee houses and award certificates A privy seal to keep the feel of 1960 style We'll comment on the decor and we'll help the passerby And the dusk when work is over, we'll continue the debate In a borrowed bedroom, virginal and spare The catcher hits for 318 and catches every day the pitcher boots religion first and rests on holidays He goes into cathedrals and lies prostrate on the floor He knows the drink affects his speed, he's praying for a doorway Back into the life he wants in the confession of the bench Life outside a diamond is a wrench I wish that you were here with me to pass the dull weekend I know it wouldn't come to love my heroine pretend A lady stepping from the song we love until this day He settled for an epitaph like walk away Rene the sun upon the roof in winter Will draw you out like a flower Meet you at the statue in an hour Meet you at the statue in an hour How many women have you been with at once and how many women have you been with in one day? In <laughs> one day? Give me at least, at least 30. Wow. 30 in one day? Yep, in one day. And, and how many at one time? Like how many? One time? Yeah. I'll take like two or three of them. Two or three at a time. Okay, hey. so how many women have you been with in one day? He, he just said 30. 30. How many times are you going to ask the same question? The man's busy. Mel, go ahead. Hey, what's up, Howard? Hey, I've been looking for this Beetle all over town. My wife is leaving me because she fucked him. Beetle, I'm coming after you, motherfucker. <laughs> did you fuck yeah. this guy's wife? Yeah. You did. Nope. She wanted these. I said, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Beetle, how many 